Good. How you doing? I'm good. You doing all right? Yeah. Yeah. Hanging in there. Are, are you know, good? You're crazy. healthy? Yeah, we're good here. Yeah. Gabby and I good. We're just uh, kind of getting used to the new normal, you know? Right, right. How about you? The other day, me and my wife, for fun, we had a uh, we had an amateur wrestling match. That's <laughs> something we could I could do. I, I love it. <laughs> what, so what was it? Was it like a like a was it there was a takedown and there was a, oh yeah yeah free. You know, my wife she um <laughs> she's able to to get me in a choke, but <laughs> but she's not able to finish it. I think it's a combination of not quite having enough strength. No, she probably does have enough strength, but yeah. she's not quite getting me in the right place. Her technique to is To me, there. I think that's a takedown. I told her, baby, you should look up on YouTube, look up jujitsu moves so you can <laughs> use them on me. <laughs> like, that would even things up. Let's get into what you wanted to talk about. I'm yeah. interested to find out what your what your thoughts are. It's actually not really a new idea. Here, yeah. question for you. Um, yeah. Did did Palmer ever do the interview with you as far as the whole, you know, coming over and the start and, and all that stuff? No, no, he did not. I mean, that kind of one of the things that, you what know, if, kind of got pushed to the wayside a little good. bit. What if we do that right now? That's a great idea. I think, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Or, you know, is, it, is it someone like asking a question or um, and me in front of the camera what's the best way to do that you think I mean my idea was literally right here right now I'll try it right now do you have time yeah yeah let's do it man okay so I think uh, hey could best, you, yeah. would you mind yeah. if we started like like from the beginning beginning as in like I'm curious just in terms yeah. of your name where does okay. that come is that Indian heritage yeah you know my, my well I, I was born in in Tanzania which is in yeah. East Africa okay and I was born in the, the city of Dar es Salaam which is the capital hmm. and then and then uh, but we lived in a small smaller town called Iringa in Tanzania and my my parents were born in Tanzania as well and my grandparents were born in Tanzania but their parents my great-grandparents were born in India so I, okay. I'm of Indian heritage okay from the uh, region of Gujarat which is a region in India and then when I was about four years old we moved my brother was two we moved to London, England. So I really grew up in in England okay. and London. And uh, my name, my name Riaz is a is it, it, the the name Riaz was pretty pretty popular in in India and Pakistan and those areas of the world. It's not not a really popular name, but there are many Riazes in that area. So it's not really like it's a unique name. It's a unique name here maybe, but I know of a few here in the, in the US, not that many, but enough. Um, Shivji is a big, big clan. There are there are lots of Shivji. I, only, I, you know, I have a really big family, but I don't know half of them. You know, there, yeah. there's a lot of them from India and Tanzania and now England and Canada and all over. So, um, Riaz, the name, I think, 
I think it means city or large dwelling or something like that, but uh, I'm not quite sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, and when we moved to England, you know, my, my, my formative years were there, which is a great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't, you know, when you, when you grow up in England, the first thing you do is play football, which is soccer. That's the yeah. first thing I did, you know, and I, yeah. and my brother and I were, I don't know if we were popular because we were friendly or because my dad owned a, a candy store. You know I mean? okay. So he owned a little grocery store. And so every day we would, we would, uh, take candy to school and have tons of friends around us. And I'm like, wait, uh, I like, uh, they like the candy. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it was kind of funny, but, um, yeah, I, I played, I played soccer. I loved going to school. I had good friends. So my brother, we integrated very quickly in a town called Fulham, which is in Southwest London. And, uh, really nice area to grow up, grew up in. Still, still a nice area. And, uh, I didn't really play tennis until I was about 12, 13. I was playing football, soccer on a club team and a school team and pretty high level in my early teens. And I was getting good, probably good enough to think about turning pro when I was older, but you know, no one mentioned it, but I was probably good enough to probably go down that path, but it's a really hard path. Yeah. So uh, I didn't really think too much of it until later on. People would say, "Oh, you could have been a pro," and I'm like, "Well, I don't really think about it when I was 12." You know. Yeah. So tennis. All of a sudden, I, fe- I found tennis because uh, one of my soccer coaches belonged to a tennis club, and he said, "Hey, you should, you should play in this tennis tournament that we were running at our club." Because you know, I played sometimes in the summertime, and I played the tennis tournament as a guest, and I won it. You know, it was like a. Oh wow. 14 and under tournament I was 12 or something like that and then I just started slowly playing more often just with friends and I played a little bit with my dad when I was much younger not, not that much this is still when wood rackets were around by the way right at the end of wood rackets the beginning of you know ceramic and aluminium rackets and stuff so uh, and right about that time the, the players that I was the player who I really loved, the tennis player, was Bjorn Borg. He was my idol. Okay. I really loved him. Yeah. Growing up, he was like a superstar, winning everything, French Open, Wimbledon, I would watch. Right. Um, and, then, um, and then I started playing a little bit more regularly and getting better just through, through my own hours of practice. I don't really have a formal coach. Just kind of, you know, watch the game, learn, learn from watching and played it. Gee, um, yes. he didn't have a formal coach. That's not really, amazing. not not when I was younger. No, yeah. when I was much younger, I didn't. I didn't start like, okay, we're going to take lessons. My parents really couldn't afford lessons, so um, it was very much coach myself for a while. And as you know, that you know, tennis evolves so much, so that yeah. at the time I was quite good. But you know, when you don't have a coach or someone helping you. It's tough to move along yeah. at a good clip. So I was happy with it. I was a good player and played as a junior, played soccer, going to school, um, doing a lot, doing lots of different things, uh, a, lot of, a lot of friends, really liked school. Um, but tennis was, tennis was just one of the things I did. And over time, my tennis 
the amount of enjoyment I got from it and uh, the people I met around it, I enjoyed more than playing soccer, you know, and doing that. And even just my social friends were kids who played tennis. So um, I really didn't belong to a club. I just played at the local park with my friends. And then uh, the same, same, uh, then I met one of my friends, Lee Everett, who was one of my best friends growing up. And he was a member of a club. He's He's a junior. He was like 18 when I was about 16. And he asked me to come to his tennis club and join as a as a junior member, which only which meant you could go limited hours and days and stuff like that. So when I joined the tennis club there, that's really when my tennis took off, and I started playing regularly. Took a couple of lessons here and there from the club pro and other coaches. Played in tournaments, did well in tournaments. You know, sixteen, seventeen, really started honing my skills and practicing so much more and getting in shape and I played a little bit of soccer on the side but I really was playing a lot of tennis and and playing playing doing well in in local tournaments and regional tournaments played in some national level tournaments in Britain that it had some good results and then but really you know my parents couldn't afford for, for me to take it any further you know on the pro level because that takes a lot of money and travel and yeah. you need a sponsor and that's really hard to do so uh i just kept doing what i was doing and playing and and really enjoying it and learning and my game was evolving you know it was a, a lot different than when i was at 12 learning how to play because now the rackets were more bigger and more powerful training was tennis was becoming more powerful right about the time when i was about 16 it was more like john McEnroe and lendl and yeah uh you know boris becker and edberg and those great guys were the top players and i was like this is great so i'm growing up in a really good time john and i went from one extreme i loved bjorn borg and i went to john McEnroe, and i loved his one in the back end so that's where i gravitate to a one in the back end because of john McEnroe, and i loved his game and even what he and his antics were terrible but i loved what he what he did you know and yeah. his skill was amazing so then on that and then when i was in my early i was about 20 i said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna go travel to europe for a few months and just play tennis tournaments so i did that and i had about 500 pounds for the summer for everything for racket stringing boarding travel <laughs> it was it was it was, say it was pounds pounds which is like about eight hundred dollars okay you know for like a summer but that's for everything that's for like traveling train tickets so where if i found a place to stay stringing shoes food tennis tournament fees that's not that much for the right, summer right. 10 weeks so um i did that and that was great i went to france played in france played in holland played in germany played in belgium and luxembourg all these places have these regional tennis tournaments that anyone can enter but they're like an open level yeah and if you do well then maybe you might get picked up by a european club tennis team where a lot of pros play and you can start practicing with them but the level is so high it's so good it was so good Hmm. it's just very hard to make a dent in really i was doing it to kind of get my feelers out and see how good it was out there and also just have a great experience as well 
So I did that for about, I did that for two summers. Um, I did that for, for when I was 20, and then when I was 21, I did it again. And I realized, hey, this is, to, come up, to do this at a pro level, it's just, it's, it's really, for me, it's unattainable. It's really tough. So I started coaching, I was coaching a little bit on the side and doing things like that. And so I, I, I wanted to, you know, do more coaching, but in um in england it was very there was not very not many opportunities you know to, to play a lot to teach a lot or and so i i i actually said you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna go i'm gonna answer this ad i saw this ad in the newspaper for you know young counselors to come to the states to work at you know some camps these are not tennis camps these are just like family vacation camps so i think when i was 22 I said, I'm going to do that for a summer. So I, I, I applied, I got in. This company called Camp America sent me out here. I came to the West Coast. I got to a camp, which is, the camp's name is called Sequoia, uh, Montecito Sequoia National Family Camp, or Family Camp. And it's in the Sequoia Mountains, which is near Yosemite. So the area was just beautiful. And so what they did was you had families that would come every week by the week for 10 weeks yeah so about 300 guests would come and that two ten this camp was gorgeous lots it was i mean i'm picturing it right now it sounds gorgeous i mean if you could picture like the sequoia mountains so you have this huge sequoia tree redwood forest and windy roads going up the mountains and at the, at, oh, along all these stops this was a man-made camp so it had a man-made lake i would say about the size of 12 tennis courts it was lake so you could see you'd have a speedboat would go around for water skiing and there's boating on the lake and then there's horse there's horse stables at the down below and then there's an archery range and then there's two tennis courts and there's a lodge and there's uh, trails you can hike in it sounds like paradise. and you know for me coming from a from a from I'm a, i was a, i'm a, from london from a city boy to come into this nature which i wasn't even used to I'm like <laughs> what are these people doing here camping i mean you know and you know we're singing campfire songs and i'm embarrassed to sing campfire songs and uh th and then they said before i start i come down i came down as as and the camps get started and all these councillors are arriving from different parts of the world it's a very international camp which i love you know from spain sweden america brazil portugal dutch uh english irish all these councillors are from these different countries so it's a really great mix of people all around my age as well so it's great and i and they said to me what are you going to do i said i don't know i just got, i got hired just to come i don't know what i'm going to do i i have some experience playing tennis and soccer and um you know i do a little coaching so uh they said, okay, that's great. We'll put you in charge of uh, this age group of children, not in charge of one of the counselors. And there'll be certain activities. Oh, we have tennis courts, so you'll be the tennis counselor. Um, and then, by the way, everyone has a camp name, so you can't be called by your real name. And I'm going, oh, that's, that's, that's silly, isn't it? I mean, what was the last tennis guy's name? And they said, well, his name was Set. I'm like, well, that's a stupid name, but... Uh, Okay, well, that sounds okay, but uh, I couldn't think of a name. And then I, I got friendly with one English guy. His name was Martin, and uh, he, he didn't know what he was there for either. I think he was, he was a lifeguard before. 
And he said, you've got to pick a name because otherwise they'll pick a name for you. And he said, who's your favorite player? I said, my, my favorite player is John McEnroe. He goes, uh, he, he should be called Mac. And I said, Mac, that's a, stu that's a silly name. Hey, hey, yeah, sorry, hey, cut out for a little bit. We're back, bit. sorry, I think I got a moot, sorry. Oh, okay, I'll get uh, um, The last, where was the I? last was that I heard, the yeah. last thing I heard was uh, you saying Mac was a silly name. Okay, so, yeah. I said, I don't, I don't, he said, what's your favorite player? I said, John Mac, he goes, you should be called Mac. I said, oh. okay, well, that's a silly name, but I'll, uh, who knows, I don't want to call that name. College, college people just call me Riaz. And they said, no, I said, I won't say. I said, okay, so we're at Bow Wow. And, uh, you know, this, uh, the, the, the head lead, the leader guy, the director of the camp said, okay, we're going to work out everyone's names. This is so-and-so. Dowie, in, you know, uh, Tex is in charge of riflery and, you know, uh, uh, Bama is in charge of, uh, you know, trails and stuff. Um, and they said, what about you? And I said, uh, uh, my name is Riaz. I'm from London. And uh, I think I'm the tennis counselor. Everyone should call me Riaz. And so my friend got up and said, no, no, his camp name is going to be Mac. And they said, great, because he likes your macaroni. And he said, that's great. Your camp name is Mac. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so then his turn came up. He said, he said what about this, this guy, Martin? He said, you can just call me Martin. And I said, I turned around, I got up, I said, look, he's going to be the lifeguard, and he's from Plymouth, so we should call him Pilgrim. So he got stuck with Pilgrim. I got the better name. He got stuck with Pilgrim for the rest of his life. I got stuck with Mac. So people around, there's people around the world who say to me, hey, Mac, how's it going? Nice. And there's people around the world say, hey, Pilgrim, what are you up to? <laughs> so he got the worst name. Yeah, yeah. That was cracking up. Anyway, um, so my camp name was and is Mac to many people right now. So I met a lot of people and guests. I met some families from Hillsborough in California. I didn't know where that was. Um, they were all tennis players. And so after camp finished, I went to visit them in Hillsborough and um, stayed with them. Had a great time at the end of the summer. I went back home to London. I said, I had such a good time in the States and especially California. I'm going to go back Yeah. and I'm going to stay there. And I'm going to see if I can find work. So I came back the next summer, did the same camp as Mac, the tennis coach. Had a phenomenal time. This time I was more of a leader of the camp because I'd been there one summer and I was training counselors. And um, it was very, very, very good for me. Met a lot of great people. And I came back to, to Hillsborough and stayed with, I got, I got lucky, you know, people, hey, where are you from? And they said, Hillsborough. I said, where's that? Like it's in Northern California, you should come visit us. So I did. Um, I got some good connections there. Met a family with a tennis course, started teaching them. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I think I could stay here. And they helped me find they helped me find a, a, a room for rent in Foster City. I started teaching lessons. I started working for this one guy. Started getting tons of lessons around this area. And I'm like, you know what, I think I could do this by myself. I don't have to work with someone else. So I just started going out on my own. I gave him all his contacts. Uh, had like three contacts of lessons and started building. So I just started building my clientele like that. And at the time, it was pretty much doing just one-on-ones, you know, a few, few clinics, but mostly one-on-ones, which is a lot. You know, I was, I was doing a lot of hours a week. 
uh, I did that for about five years. I did my, I worked myself for about five years. And then through the, through the grapevine, you know, through the Tennis Connections, Peninsula Tennis Club, which is in Burlingame, they asked me to be their coach for the summer, the pro for the summer camps. Um, so I did that for one summer. And then at the end of the summer, they said, you know, you did such a good job. We want you to become our pro here full time. And I said, that's great. So it was great to be a pro at the PTC, the Prince Tennis Club. But you're very limited when you're a club pro. You can only teach the members. Um, you can't really have outside people coming. Although it was a very sleepy, small, sleepy club. And I, I helped build it up to a very active club, juniors and ladies teams and men's teams and mixed doubles and doubles and, you know, twilight mixes and all this stuff. It used to be, it, it used to be a very high-profile club in the 60s, but a lot of national-level juniors would come from around the country and play, uh, play the national hard courts there. But, oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, it was really, really a, a well-known club on the West Coast. But then in the 80s, it stopped. I think 86 was the last year they ran the national hard courts. To give you an idea, the national hard courts right now, the 18 and unders are played in Kalamazoo, the 16 and unders are played in San Diego. I think the 14s are played in Arizona. And I think the 12s are played in Florida. So each of those age groups are played in a different state, and that's how big the tournament is. In the 60s, all those age groups played at this one tennis club, Princeton Tennis Club. Maybe the draws were about 32 or 16. They weren't that big, but that's how big that club was yeah. in regards to notoriety um, and recognition in the 60s and 70s. Hmm. Um, so it was pretty, very, you know, people like Michael Chang played there, yeah. Jimmy Connors played there, Jennifer Capriotti played there, um, Jimmy Connors played there as a junior, Eric Van Dillen played there. Hmm. There's some really big time, uh, tons of college, high-level college players played there it, when they were juniors, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was, a very, it was great to be a part of that history. But over the years, you know, times change, people change, and that history was... We were trying to keep it going, but, you know, the club needed to move on. And I stayed at PTC for about 13 years. I was there for a long time. And it was I was probably outgrowing the club, meaning I was bringing in so many, you know, people to come and play tennis and take lessons. I only had one tennis court to use. So it was pr probably time to first go to part ways. And when I did... I wasn't sure if I could do the next move, you know, which is start my own academy, but I I did the same as I did before, you know, I went from teaching a lot of people to just teaching a few and then that grew and so our tennis academy was was growing and uh I think I left PTC at in two thousand thirteen and now it's two thousand twenty, so it's been seven years of full on RS Academy, which has been going great right now. So now as you know, our, our base is at San Mateo High School. We teach a lot of ladies clinics during the week. Um, we have a really good niche in the area here. I, I love teaching. I, I love teaching more than anything. And um, I love being on the court or around the court with anyone. Children, men, women, mixed. Um, doesn't matter what level. I really like being around the people. And I think... The people gravitate to us, us because I'm trying to. We've been trying to build this community, you know, of yeah. people who don't necessarily. You don't have to belong to a club. Like when I grew up, 
I didn't belong to a tennis club until very late. And even when I did, I, I played more in the park with other people and friends who didn't belong to a club or they couldn't afford to. So the people that I think that we really cater to a lot, I mean, we, we have kids that are that are, belong to clubs and some kids who can't afford to belong to clubs and they still have a, a big part of our community. And then, you know, we have uh, adults who belong to four different clubs, but they prefer to play tennis or take clinics with us. And um, so I really like that about what we offer and what we what I'm doing right now is just a big part of why I like to do it because it, it just brings in people from different um, demographics, yeah. you know, and dynamic, and it just brings them all together. And I really like that. I really like I really like that uh, the community that's that's still build still growing and building, and just having good. I just love having being around good people like you and Palmer and Marcy and the juniors and their parents and I think it's just ongoing it just that goodness just feeds on itself you know yeah, I, I totally really like agree. that yeah uh, even in this time right where we're right, right now where we're hunkered down and sheltered in place you know the interaction we have with our junior crew and some of the juniors and some of the I'm, I'm, I'm finally feeling that we're getting to know more of the parents now so they'll text me or call me and say, Riyad, you know, do you have any fitness challenge for the kids? At this time, I'm like, yes, great idea, let's do that. Um, you know, they're like asking, hey, Riyad, can you do some Zoom tennis lessons? You know, where you do a lesson online, like, this is great. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just good that they want to still be put, they know that we provide something that their kids like. Yeah. And they want to keep that going during this time. So uh, I think... You know, I don't know what the future holds, but I don't know we just want to kind of keep this thing going yeah. and uh, have a place where people just feel comfortable just being themselves, you know. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we're, a, you know, we're not an academy where we're trained to become professionals. We're, we're an academy where we can provide, you know, some teachings and some methods where children and everyone can just get yeah. better at something they like to do and then just carry it forward for however long they want to carry it forward for, you know. Yeah. Um, some kids move on and do play in college tennis. Some kids play in high school. My goal is if you play, if we get kids to play in high school, they're probably going to play this great sport for the rest of their lives. You know, at some yeah. point they'll come back to it. And, um, and I really like that about what we teach them. We, we you know, time management, discipline, um, good sportsmanship, you know, be a good citizen. Yeah. You know, those kinds of things are very important to me and important to our community. And I think in, in our, around our community with people like you and Palmer and Eric and Lauren and Marcy, we have those uh, good mentors around the children that they see that we're providing and we're just there because we care and uh, yeah. and they keep coming back. They, you know, and, and I think it's we're passing it on to them in the hopes that they could pass it on to someone else, you know, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's been really good for, good for me, I mean, uh, and then on a personal note, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep in shape and try to hit, get tw two hits a week and, uh, you know, um, uh, eat healthy and celebrate, celebrate a good time, you know, good life, so, um, yeah, that that's, that's, yeah, it's a good, uh, that's a, that's, that's my story right there, I mean, uh, 
Dude, Riaz, I, I think yeah. we got some great content there, man. That's cool. Yeah. I love yeah. it. 